has moved from Minecraft books <laughs> to sapic romance <laughs> about some arranged marriage shenanigans with some pretty art. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone. Part two of our most anticipated full 2020 releases episode. So last week, we talked about 15 books that we are looking forward to reading. And today, we have some more for you. But first, an existential question, because we got one of those. And today, I choose this question because it's a question that I don't have to answer, because you all know this is not a thing that I do. Um, so I'm going to ask my book friends, for the fall, what kinds of books do you think is a fall book for all of you mood readers out there? I like to go comfortable in the fall. I feel like, you know, you feel the winds of change and everything else. So you're like, okay, I'm going to like just get my cozy. So that means different things for me in different years, but it's like usually returning to authors, returning to genres, like, but then like, I don't really read cozy mysteries, but like, like that sort of idea of like a, a, a book that gives me a cozy mystery feeling and a book I can read with a pumpkin spice latte. Mark's shaking his head. Mark. Yeah, I don't like pumpkin spice at all. No pumpkin spice of anything, honestly, for me. You have to keep it real. That stuff is just like sugar and artificial sweet stuff. Uh, so for me personally, fall books. I don't have like a big like kind of like seasonal or mood kind of reading habit, but in the fall, I kind of will look back at the years like, okay, where are the books that came out this year that I haven't had a chance to read that I've wanted to read? So for example, in the next couple of months, I'm probably going to try and read some of the books that were from like January, February, March. I just never got around to reading. So that's just kind of how my sort of like last part of the year kind of goes. Sometimes I'll also try to think like, oh, is there something like related to this season that I haven't? That I've been thinking about sometimes it might kind of cue in like oh yeah this is going on right now there's that book that that also happens in like maybe I'll try and check out that book now but in general I don't really pay too much attention to the seasons and things like that when I'm trying to make reading decisions agree Mark totally agree Corinne gosh I miss Liz to back me up on this one okay no that you gotta you gotta like sense the vibe of the seasons and like where Mercury is to kind of set the mood and the right vibe for the books that you're reading. So yes, absolutely. Fall has a very, very specific atmosphere. Um, it's also probably, I'd say, in the biggest publishing period, like tons of stuff gets released in the fall. It's, you know, when school starts, so it's a time of new beginnings. So I often want to pick up debut authors and actually something that Fiona had touched upon. I love reading mysteries in the fall. It's a good like mellow season for just like a 
body or two, maybe a small town, maybe a locked room where someone expires. It's just that at that time, like where things are getting a little bit darker. So you kind of have to read to match that vibe. And so I tend to go just, I mean, the summer is the darkest and then this is kind of like slowly edging in. So like cozy mysteries, murder mysteries, thrillers, and maybe like some light cults. I don't think of myself as too much of like a seasonal reader. And I feel like I am a mood reader, but not necessarily like a seasonal one. Fall could maybe be... I say that, but I think I don't have a specific mood in the winter or the spring. But when it comes to summer and fall, I feel like I do have a little bit more. With fall, I mean, I do not, I also do not like pumpkin spice, but I do like the coziness of fall. But I just think coziness probably means something different to me. (laughs) I do like the spooky aspect of the fall. I like um, the fact that Everybody else also will enjoy ghost stories around this time. And it's not just me. And I like the opportunity to go a little bit dark, probably not as dark as summer, but like a a little bit dark, a little bit maybe like hazy. How would I describe fall? You kind of want something that... You don't want to put down even when you're at that little pumpkin patch. Like you want to bring your little book with you to the pumpkin patch and then sit while you're going through all the cornfields and then pull it out periodically because you need to continue what's going on. So I want something that's like very like cozy enough that I can put it down and pick it up while still keeping me engaged enough that I want it to come with me. And I know that's a very specific thing. And it's hard to find a book that fits those requirements because it's not genre. <laughs> it's not even plot. It's just like something, something a little, a little spooky, maybe a little dark academia, a little uh horror-y. So I, I'm looking for something very specific in a fall, in the fall. And sometimes what that ends up meaning is that I go and back and reread old favorites because I know what happens. I'm not going to get too lost if I suddenly put it down, but also it's an old favorite and it's destroyed on my bookcase for a reason. I'm super curious. So for the not mood readers here, is it more of like, do you find yourself picking up different formats in the fall? Because Gabriel, you mentioned it has to be something that you can pick up and put down cozily. Like, is it a format thing? Do you tend to read like longer books in certain time periods? You have no such thing as a beach read, Virginia. You're just shaking your head. You like what you like. Cares what season it is. You know what you like and you read what you like. That's what I say. The only time it really affects things is like if it's like a long vacation, like if it's like a winter holiday vacation, then maybe I'll try and pick up something that's longer that I've been like, oh, I just don't have time for this right now. Then maybe I'll adjust a little bit based on that. But like, that's kind of the extent of it. I don't read a lot of ebooks or audiobooks. Because I just tend to prefer the prints whenever possible, but it's really not a thing for me. I love these questions. You get to learn a lot about each other. And then we have some more things to argue about. I love it. Um, So I think we're going to go talk about our books because maybe one of these 10 books is going to fit Gabriel's criteria of what 
they want for a fall book. Um, but we're going to go with somebody who has super strong feeling about what a fall book should be. So maybe their next pick is going to be what they describe. Let's find out. Corinne. I would argue this is the perfect fall book. It's a murder mystery and it's cozy and it's got atmosphere. So the uh, kind of blurb of this book is what if it was the movie Knives Out, but gayer? (laughs) And that was all it took for me. So the year is 1952, and Irene Lamontagne, the matriarch of the Lamontagne soap empire, has been found murdered. On her vast, sprawling estate, all of the secrets of her very special soaps are somewhere buried in the house. Now, the widow of Irene Lamontagne. Evander Mills has hired Alan, a disgraced San Francisco police officer who was caught in a gay club during a raid, has been hired to discover the murderer. When he happens upon this estate, he quickly discovers that all is not as it seems from the outside. Inside the La Montaigne estate, everyone can be who they are. This is a found family of people who, within the gates of this community, can love who they want to love and be with who they want to be with. The gates have kept them safe from all the prying eyes of outsiders, but now those gates trap a murderer within their ranks. This promises to be a story of mystery, of found family, of old money, of subterfuge, deception. It's going to be everything. And as the blurb said, running a soap empire is a dirty business. (laughs) Um, Sorry. I find that really good. Um, So this is the book Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen, which I am very much looking forward to. And I would argue, despite being lavender, which is not like a traditional fall color, is the perfect fall read. All right. We're going to go again diametrically opposite of someone who doesn't believe in reading the atmosphere. We're going to go to Mark. Okay. Thank you, Corrine. So the book I'll be talking about first is The Tatsumi Galaxy by Tomihiko Morimi. This book by Morimi is one of the fairly popular author in Japan, but most of his books have only recently become translated into English. And it's primarily because of the quantity of anime adaptations of his works. He's primarily become known for this particular work that was adapted into an anime. Several other of his works also have in the last decade or so. So interest in his work has started to increase gradually. And in this story, it's a story of multiverses, romance, comedy, and a deeper understanding of what makes life enjoyable. So our unnamed protagonist, also sometimes referred to as Watashi in the Japanese version, or me, the personal pronoun, is in search of the perfect rose-colored campus life at university. He has this kind of romantic ideal of what his life is going to be like, what to expect, how he's going to create this perfect life he's gonna have all these friends he's gonna have a perfect club life he's gonna have a girlfriend all this kind of stuff that's gonna coalesce into a perfect kind of life for him that's of course not how it actually turns out 
All of his choices seem to lead further and further away from what he really wants. He dislikes his clubmates, his romantic life is non-existent, and his best friend Ozu is actually kind of a jerk. He kind of actually hates him, they do stupid stuff, and he gets roped along with Ozu's antics all the time. At the end of his university days, he's kind of looking back and sort of wondering what went wrong. What choices could he have made to, to make his life turn out the way he wanted it to? And at this point, his life suddenly reverses and turns back to the very first day of university. And he's going to live through this life, uh, through those days all over again. So it's sort of like sort of been compared to a sort of Groundhog Day kind of experience where he's going back and re-experiencing things again with an opportunity to make brand new choices. But even as he re-experiences his life, he tends to encounter the same people again, the same kinds of situations, the same kinds of things over and over again, as he sort of tries to put together the puzzle pieces of the different opportunities in front of him in his life. This includes his love interest, Akashi, who appears throughout the different stories. There's also the eighth year university student, Higuchi, who sort of plays this kind of um, strange, kind of eccentric layabout character who gently nudges the protagonist towards kind of enlightenment and kind of finding the path that he really wants to lead. And so that just sort of has like this kind of interesting vibe of trying to find the, the kind of life that you envision for yourself when really the opportunities and kind of things around you are kind of constricting what you can do, trying to find what's actually a realistic kind of idea of what a good life looks like, what actually brings enjoyment rather than kind of being fixated on this ideal of what a kind of rose-colored life, quote-unquote, looks like. And having seen the anime before, I, I'm very interested in reading the novel because I, have, I haven't read any of Morimi's books, but the anime adaptations have been quite interesting. So I'm looking forward to finally getting the opportunity to read one of his books in print. And with that, I think I will go to, let's say, Gabriel. All right. So next I have, wow, yet another collection of sci-fi and fantasy short stories. So this one is called Africa Risen, A New Era of Speculative Fiction. And again, there's a lot of authors, but it was edited by Cherie Renee Thomas, Ogana Chovwe, Donald Ekpeki, and Zelda Knight. So all three of the editors have actually helped produce similar works in the past. Thomas edited Dark Matter, a century of speculative fiction from the African diaspora in 2000. Pecky edited the year's best speculative African fiction in 2020. And Knight co-edited Dominion, an anthology of speculative fiction from Africa and the African diaspora in 2020 as well. So all three of them know what they're doing. All three of them have approached the topic before, and they have collected a bunch of stories uh, that look, and just from what I could tell, because there isn't too much that's actually out on them yet, they looked really interesting, and they look like something that I haven't encountered a lot of before. I think the stuff that I've usually looked at has been more in terms of so Afrofuturism and more the sci-fi side, so I'm very curious to see what some of the fantasy stuff looks like. I think that will be uh, really cool. The the cover art actually looks almost like an old astronaut suit covered in flowers. And so I think that'll be sort of interesting to see. I don't think it's necessarily inspired by any of the stories, but that kind of energy is very cool. Whereas the other anthology that I talked about last week had, I think, about 15 stories. This one has 32. So 
It spans a variety of genres, and really it's just trying to showcase the talent of the various science fiction and fantasy writers in the African diaspora, but also from Africa itself. So like the previous one that I mentioned, some of the conflicts in this are very real and grounded, and some of them sound like they're going to be a bit more out there. There are resistance and resilience stories with uprisings that use sci-fi and fantasy to talk about real problems. Again, that's, I think, one of the, it's weird to call it a trope, but definitely one of the literary techniques that I usually really enjoy in sci-fi and fantasy, especially when it's a shorter story. I think it's sometimes easier to ground myself in it because short stories that are completely out there can sometimes be a little bit difficult to relate to when I don't have the time to really delve into the concept. And so especially when it comes to, I think, shorter fiction, I usually really enjoy that. There is stories that are going to have gods, jinn, cyborgs, world-ending crises, uh, spirits, and also elements of unexpected humor. That was one that I was kind of surprised at looking. I don't I think just talking about the concepts might actually spoil some of the stories, but some of the humor that I saw kind of like talked about was almost unexpected and comes out of left field. So we have a lot of different ones. And even if maybe not all of the stories appeal, some of them might actually jump out at you when you are taking a look through it. Some of them include asking questions about what happens when a rain goddess's descendant can change her appearance. Or what about when a government manages to load the minds of a country's ancestors into one massive computer? Or when a dying planet gives way to new life, what happens if the one to spot it is a child robot? So I couldn't find as much on the contents as I was hoping. Uh, I definitely found more on the Latin American one. But again, there's so many stories in this. I think there's going to be a lot that's covered. And those were just some of the kind of mentions I could find. It's coming out in mid-November, so there's still some time for things to get slowly slowly leaked out, slowly talk about. And I'm excited for this one to broaden my idea of what's possible in science and or science fiction and fantasy. So for fans of Afrofuturism, I believe there are some of the stories that will kind of delve into that. As I mentioned, we have some robots, we've got some supercomputers, and I think it'll be one to check out. As the title implies, Africa and African speculative fiction is not rising. It has already risen. So there's definitely a whole history. And as mentioned, all three of the editors have a have a past um, of sort of working with the, this kind of story. So if you are very excited for this one, absolutely, you can go out and take a look at some of the other ones they've done. As I mentioned, two of them were in 2020 even. So there's some very recent stuff that you could look at if you were curious to see what kind of things the genre had to offer or just wanted to hype yourself up for it. So that is Africa Risen. And I think next we will go to Virginia. So my next book is definitely a kind of book for Virginia any time of the year. How do you get rid of a ghost in your house? Give the ghost is your mother-in-law. Abby and her husband, Ralph, have just moved in with Ralph's mother, Laura. Because Laura is suffering from depression and she does need someone to take care of her. So they decided to move in. 
Abby doesn't mind so much because she's hoping that maybe this would be her chance to experience that motherly love that she has heard so much about that she has never got when she was young. She has a very complicated relationship with her quite abusive mother. When she grew up, her substitute mother is basically her couch. She called it the couchy mother thing. So with the mother-in-law, she thought, you know what, maybe... Laura and I could have a thing going on and we could be like best buds. But Laura has no interest in being buddy-buddy with her daughter-in-law. In fact, she's probably still pretty mad that she has to share her son, Ralph, with some other woman. You see, Ralph is like the nicest, the most decent human being that you can ever meet. So why do I need to share with this person that totally does not deserve my son? And then Laura decided, to take her own life, but she didn't go away. Abby thought, okay, well, they must say it out loud, but it's like, okay, now that she's gone, maybe they can finally move on. Maybe they can start thinking about their future. Maybe they could have a baby. And she knows she could be the best mother that there is. She knows how to be a mother, even if she doesn't have a lot of good examples. She knows she could do it. It's like taking care of all the residents at the long-term care home that she works at, especially Mrs. Bondi. Mrs. Bondi is kind of like her mother. She loves Mrs. Bondi. Mrs. Bondi loves her. They get along so well. That's her favorite residence. She is so good at taking care of Mrs. Bondi. She knows she would be just as good at taking care of a baby. But Ralph has descended into a deep depression. He has ignored everything. He has not gotten to work. He has not gone out of the house. He is just hanging out in the basement, talking to himself, maybe. And Ralph does not want to do anything. And Abby can tell how much his mother's death is affecting him. One day, as Ralph was down there talking again, she tried to like go and see like, like, Who is he talking to? Is he on the phone? Like, who is he talking to? And then as she was going down the stairs, she thinks she saw Laura, the mother-in-law, looking around in the corner. And it seems like Ralph is talking to his mother. Is Abby losing it? Is this real? Like, what is happening? If Ralph can get his mother out of his mind, then like he would never become himself again. Abby needs to do something now. And that's okay because like I said, Abby knows how to be a good mother and Abby has a very special recipe for chicken a la king that is going to help. Even though there's a ghost in it, this is definitely not a ghost story. This is for people who love Very, very dark humor. This is a domestic horror that is pitch black dark humor. It is hilarious. It is also disgusting and very heartbreaking in in some ways because we feel really bad for Abby because like she's trying so hard. She just wants to be loved in some ways. And you can tell she's just trying to make everybody feel good. Like the way she treats Mrs. Bondi at the long-term care or the way she treats her co-workers. She keeps trying to perfect this jelly salmon recipe that she thinks is going to bring everybody joy. But who wants to eat 
jelly salmon, but she keeps trying because she just like want to make people happy. But at the same time, you're kind of like, okay, your choices are kind of like shocking and disturbing. Like what is happening? Um, so yeah, this is like such a, it's funny, but also like really sad in some ways at the same time. And I read one of the reviews, it says it's just like, it, it talks about how much grief takes up space maybe even more than the person that you actually lost when they are alive. So it's such an interesting book. Also, somebody said that this would be kind of like for people who like night, B-I-T-C-H, um, which I talk about in this podcast. I would say it's more in similar in subject, but the tone is quite different because this is definitely a lot more shocking. So if you have a, uh, a strong stomach for a good, funny uh, horror and also have like the most amazing cover ever, according to me and Heather, who is another colleague of mine, the only person that can ever sell books to is Heather. She's ready to read this, you know, when I told her about this yesterday. So this is Mother Thing by Ansley Hogarth. All right. I think you shall need a palate cancer. So who, oh, I guess we only have Fiona. You're the, okay. Yeah. Fiona would be fine. Like Fiona can like get rid of all of this. Yes. I can provide a palate cleanser. I'm going back to my roots uh, and talking about a graphic novel. So this is Fantasy Court Intrigue, The Marble Queen by Anna Kopp, illustrated by Gabrielle Kari. I think I was taken in by the blurb, which compared it to Nimona uh, meets Princess and the Dressmaker. So definitely, uh, I'm going to lean heavily on romance during this episode. I don't know. So it is a sapphic romance. And I think that the illustrator is definitely drawn in some mm, magical girl Utana influence there. So definitely appreciating that in the art. I don't really care what the plot is. It's 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 uh it's gonna be like about the art uh for me and the characters. But to give you a little background, it is about Princess Amelia from the Kingdom of Marion, which is currently in shambles, and her idea is to improve this through marriage. What I like is that she accidentally marries someone from a mysterious kingdom. She thinks she's going to make things better. So she gets on a boat and is like, yeah, totally. I will do this, like this marriage to, to like improve our uh, relationship with this kingdom. And then she gets there and it's not the, um, the king she's marrying, but his sister. So I don't know how I feel about like, like forced forced sapphic marriage but it sounds like it's kind of being used for a personal exploration of confusing feelings the princess she's marrying looks super awesome and i think that she is going to be the more interesting of the characters it seems like amelia is kind of a, a stand-in for a classic you know princess character uh and then we have this dark brooding military garb wearing princess from the mysterious kingdom so definitely into that I, you know, love this idea of an accidental marriage, but also uh, the author, Anna Kopp, primarily writes Minecraft novels. <laughs> so uh, when I saw that, I was like, yes, on board. Where's this going? Love this, this little switcheroo that you were doing with like a teen romance court intrigue uh, graphic novel. So <laughs> very much looking forward to The Marble Queen, uh, written by Anna Kopp and illustrated by Gabriel Carey. Okay, I guess I get to pick our final round. And since 
Gabriel has expressed an interest in the graphic novel I'm talking about, I'm going to throw it to them. Listen, beautiful. Absolutely lovely. Going on the to-be-read list with your final sentence. (laughs) Has moved from Minecraft books (laughs) to sapphic romance. <laughs> about some arranged marriage shenanigans with some pretty art. And I love the princess and the dressmaker. I haven't actually read Nimona, but I have seen it. It looks adorable. I'm going for it. Listen, let's not knock the Minecraft books. <laughs> let's not, just in general, let's not knock the Minecraft books. Ironically, haven't even read it, kind of want to because there's one author I actually like who has done a Minecraft book before, but I feel like there's a lot of potential in the universe they they have to play with. And I say that as someone who runs all of our Minecraft program at the library right now. Bring your kids if they want to play Minecraft with me. (laughs) We will create our own stories and our own backdrops. It's beautiful. Anyway, so Out of all of the books that I have talked about, I think if we're going to talk the most about maybe mood reading for the fall, I feel like maybe this one is the closest to a mood reader out of the stuff that I talked about. The only other one that could maybe that could maybe beat it out would be like the Sunbearer Trials, which I talked about last week. And even then, I almost feel like that's more of a, I don't know, I I don't feel like it's as much of a fall book. Maybe just because there's so much sun imagery in it and fall really isn't a time for that kind of warmth. If anything, I feel like that would be when I'd read it in the winter because I'm cold. <laughs> I'm cold and I'm vitamin D deficient. So my last book to complete the sci-fi and fantasy train we've been on is Tread of Angels by Rebecca Roanhorse. I love Westerns. We know this. We also know the questionable content that Westerns sometimes have. So I'm always excited to see one that doesn't shy away from the past. And this one's set to come out in November. As I mentioned, Tread of Angels by Rebecca Roanhorse. So uh, Roanhorse is actually the one who has brought us some recent bestsellers like Black Sun and Fevered Star. Plus, for younger audiences, Ancestor Approved. And in general, um, has brought Indigenous voices to Marvel with the character of Echo, and apparently even wrote a Star Wars book when I was researching this, which is pretty exciting. So she's all over, and this is her next thing. So this one's actually closer to novella size. It's on the shorter side. And from reading the description, I kind of wish it wasn't. I wish that there was a little more room to kind of explore this particular plot, because there's a lot here. There's a lot here. So it's a fantasy inspired by the Wild West. It is both hard on the fantasy elements and also on the this is a big metaphor elements, which is a common theme, I think, with most of the books that I've been talking about. There's at least one large metaphor and all of them, except for maybe the Sunbearer Trials, because I don't know what would be metaphorical. there. <laughs> it's literally some kids getting sacrificed. So you have two sides to a divine conflict, right? You have the fallen and you have the virtues. In an ancient war, the virtues were the winners and the fallen were the losers, the ones who rebelled. So the fallen are demons or fallen angels 
and they're tasked with helping prospectors in a mountain town to mine a new element called divinity. So divinity is the remains of Abaddon, who fell to earth during the war. And it powers most technologies they have. It's an important resource, and it can only be seen by the fallen. And so that's why you need them to help mine it. The two main characters, Celeste and Mario, are two fallen sisters who were raised separately. So Celeste was hidden in high society. She was hiding her true heritage versus Mario, who grew up in the fallen slums. When their father dies, Celeste leaves this cozy life to reunite with her sister, and they become incredibly attached. But unfortunately, Mariel is accused of murdering one of the ruling class virtues, and they have to embark on a journey to prove her innocence, unraveling the secret dark side of their world in the process. So it's a dark fantasy set in the Wild West by a well-loved author. I would encourage you to check it out. It's only 130 pages. So you can probably chew through it real quick. Yeah, my only complaint is that I think it might end up being uh, not long enough to appreciate the world she created and the characters that she created. However, I am very curious, just based on sort of the law, and there's a little bit of like a mystery procedural aspect to this as well. Does it look like the Ace Attorney games? Stay tuned to find out. So I'm going to pass it right back to Fiona. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. I will try to respect everybody's time, but I am so excited about this book. I'm going to be talking about a sequel to one of my top 10 books of all time, which is actually a straight YA romance. (laughs) And... (laughs) Uh, yeah, I will. Oh, I'll try not to like go off on too many tangents. Okay. Somebody please get me the audiobook copy of this immediately, immediately upon release. Love from Mecca to Medina by SK Ali is the sequel to Love from A to Z, which I think came out maybe like three or four years ago. So I, I was not anticipating a sequel, but I dreamed of it in one of those ways where, you know, like, People are always like, are you going to write a sequel to this? And authors are like, go away. I want to write new things. But then they actually listened. Zainab and Adam met in the previous novel. A little bit of a hate to love. Um, that was It was brief, the hate. Uh, and long, the love. Oh, so they are both uh, practicing Muslims. They are sort of part of the international community. And they met abroad. Uh, I believe they're both, I believe they both hold American citizenship, but are part of the Islamic diaspora. Okay. Okay. Howard. And in this, uh, this one, they are um, now married, but they are still living. I know, I know, but I, I'm trying to get a vibe for whether uh, it's, it's like a, it's a cultural marriage and, and they're still kind of like waiting for the, the, like the big day, or if it's like, no, this is the start of their marriage. It just so happens that they're living apart because uh, Zainab is finishing law school and Adam is embarking on his career as an artist. In the previous book, we found out that Adam was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is what his mom had passed away from. So it gives an urgency to his art career, which is, you know, a real devotion for him. Okay, so things seem to be not all roses between Zainab and Adam because of this distance. They are supposed to be meeting up in England for a nice, quiet cottage trip when Adam 
brings up the idea of instead taking a pilgrimage. Zainab's not super excited about this, and then is less so when it turns out that a previous crush of Adam's is actually going to be leading this tour. Why I love these books, why I love this author, uh, what pulled me into this straight romance. It's actually, okay, I'm like trying not to get giddy, but it's like actually like the most romantic like thing ever. Uh, just their, their realness in these characters, uh, their like willingness to work on things, to acknowledge each and love each other's, <laughs> love each other's vices. Um, like Adam is like one of like, I don't know, I just super swooned over Adam in the original, which was like uncomfortable. But so I'm really, I also, I really love stories that pay attention to to marriage to like after the happily ever after and i'm really excited for this this delve into you know recognizing that married people still have struggles you know they're not just they're not just adults they're not just parents they can still have you know beautiful romances in marriages i feel like i'm like showing a lot of my hand and it's like embarrassing but like i don't know i guess this is a part of myself that i don't talk about a lot but like just these books get me like they get my sense of romance and i'm just like absolutely excited uh that that we get to see more of this couple because they already have a very like mature relationship even pre-marriage and i'm so excited to see that age what could be more beautiful than the aging of a long romance <sighs> between two strong-willed individuals? Oh, thank you, SKLE. I cannot wait for From Mecca to Medina. Some people get speechless about romance. Some people get speechless about cannibals to each their own. Yes, Fiona, <laughs> who would you like to pick next? I'm going to send it to Mark. Because I anticipate no romance, but I'm not sure that's fair. Like, um, let's see. Uh, that's actually a very fair assumption to make because there's not going to be any romance here. So the last book I'll be talking about is Saha by Cho Nam Ju. Ju is probably most well known in North America for her book Kim Ji Young, born 1982, which is a very critical novel about the inequalities in modern society, particularly for women the kinds of expectations that are sort of forced upon them by society itself as issues of sex, gender, harassment, and discrimination were very prevalent in that book. Whereas I feel like in Saha, this one's going to be much more focused on issues of class and justice. As the book takes place in a fictional country called Town, a person named Sue is found dead in an abandoned car, and the suspected killer is presumed to come from this uh, lower-income, low-class building called Saha Estates. Well, town is considered to be like a very safe and rich kind of nation, but it's controlled by a very kind of secretive organization of ministers and government kind of agencies and things like that. It's very hierarchical. It's very controlled by uh, so kind of like high ranking elite, whereas it's also very lower class people that live in very uh, poor conditions, like in places like Saha Estates. So among the people living in Saha Estates is uh, Jin Kyung, the young woman whose brother Do Kyung was in a relationship with Sue and is quickly presumed to be the prime suspect by the police. And after Do Kyung also suddenly disappears, Jin Kyung is sort of determined to get to the bottom of the mysteries, to try and determine what's going on to find the truth. But what you'll uncover is actually very much deeper and much darker as it sort of goes down to a previous sort of intimate that's going to go to a much deeper kind of not maybe not conspiracy, but a much deeper kind of connection to the 
the sort of underbelly of the society, the kind of inequalities that are prevalent within it. So in that way, you could almost call it like a kind of dystopian mystery because of this kind of fictional country kind of aspect to it, the extreme inequality and things like that. It kind of has that, what you would kind of expect from a dystopian kind of setting. So in that sense, it's also very much like a lot of other kind of South Korean media that you sort of hear a lot about these days, things like Squid Game or Parasite and whatnot. Almost not, I want to call it a genre, but it's like a very much kind of theme that's been becoming more common and pervading kind of South Korean media, perhaps because of the kind of situation in the country itself. Sometimes it's sort of seen as like a highly unequal country, or in the case of Kim Ji Young, born 1982, kind of reveals this kind of like underlying pervading cultural norms or cultural feelings that don't always get acknowledged or are very, they don't necessarily get uh, addressed by the common uh, media or the government and things like that. So it sort of gets expressed in this medium like books and things like that. So I'm very interested to see where this narrative goes to see if it kind of focuses more on the kind of murder mystery aspect. So there was another book that came out not too long ago from South Korea called Lemon that also had this kind of murder mystery aspect to it i know i haven't talked about it on this podcast but i know some of the book friends on this podcast have heard me talk about it before so it's definitely something that and i don't normally get drawn to these kinds of murder mysteries also as people have probably sort of realized from the books i've talked about i'm not the mystery person on this podcast for sure but this one definitely checks a lot of boxes that i look for in a book so i'm definitely looking forward to saha and i guess i will go to Virginia. All right. Well, give you think Mother Thing is the most Virginia book of the Virginia books today. This is, it may not be it. Well, I think it is probably. But this book, it seems like every single time I got my lineup of books set for this episodes then a couple days before i discover a book that i'm like wait how come i didn't know that you were coming out and then i have to like bump everything off because like you know i wanted to talk about this book instead so that was one of those last time was like the sasquatch lesbian story patricia wants to cuddle and this time i've got something else for you um so this is hell sense by ever thunders and if you stare at this name, Hellsense, H-E-L-L-S-A-N-S, and you're like, oh, that's like a font. Well, first of all, you and I should be friends. And secondly, yes, you're right. This is a story about a evil font. I was so excited. I, I texted my husband right and we're like, he was like obsessed with typefaces and fonts. So I'm super excited. So it's not like words that are evil. It's not stories that are evil. It's the font that is evil. Oh, I'm so excited. Anyway, um, so yes, this is Hell Sense by Ever Dunders, and it is the story set in a fictional uh UK. And Hell Sense is this typeface that is government mandated that you have to use in every everything in all communications in all the public spaces that is what you have to use and it's kind of like their way to control the people and most people when they look at this font they will experience bliss whatever that means haven't read the book yet but there is a minority of people a group of people who are allergic to this bliss but the government doesn't care about this small group of people. Um, so they just ignore them and these people get forgotten and they live on like sort of the outskirts of the city um, because no one cares about them. One of our main characters is Jane Ward. She is the CEO of the company that basically makes the next version of the smartphone. It's kind of like more like a cyborg, like 
virtual assistant. So instead of smartphones, we don't, that's old news. We have something else. It is just this like virtual assistant that you bring around that you can like customize and decorate and personalize. And of course, being the CEO for this company, she has everything. She's the wealthiest person that is living in this country until she got sick. And then when she recovers, she realized that she's now allergic to the fonts. And of course, now that you are one of those people, nobody cares about her anymore. She loses her job. She loses everything that she has. And she has to be like relocated and, and living in the outskirts, just like all the other people. And she was rescued by a doctor that lives there, Dr. Icho. And Dr. Icho is actually a scientist who has a cure for this allergy, but nobody wants them to give this cure to anybody. So Jane and Icho has to work together to try to figure out how to expose all the corruption in the government and how to bring the cure to all the people who are allergic to this evil fonts. HealthSense is written in three parts. Part one and part two, each representing a story of Jane and Icho. According to the author, you can read them like uh, in whatever order you want. You can, in fact, just read one of them and jump to the other, the part three of the story. And what Eva Dunn does, the author wanted to do was just to like show how, you know, depending on the order that you read, you get a really different perspective of the people who have everything and the people who don't have anything. Eva Dunders is a queer disabled writer from Scotland and she suffers from chronic fatigue syndromes. And so she is very much a activist in terms of bringing books and bringing um, stories to people with disabilities. Um, so this is a big theme in this book. So in addition to uh, this amazing evil font story, um, it is also going to be, I'm sure, a story with a lot of great messages in it. So um, I can't wait to read this. This is Hell Sands by Ever Thunders. All right. So uh, last but not least, uh, we've got Corinne. Corinne, what is the last book that's going to end our most anticipated episode? Well, I am shocked again that a book kind of kicked off off from your list, what I thought would be your your number one book. Um, but again, you always you always pull something out of the hat, Virginia. You always pull something out of the hat. And before I get started, the book that Gabriel and Fiona had both mentioned as a fantastic book to read is The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wong. And you should absolutely pick it up. It's an amazing graphic novel. Yes. So I have kind of covered all of my little circles in my Venn diagram. I have talked about a mystery. I've talked about a thriller. I've talked about a memoir, a detective story, but I haven't yet picked a book that is a melancholy existential fantasy that is also a meditation on loneliness and childhood. So here we are with my number one pick, the book that um, has been on my to be read list for the longest time, which is Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mizuki Tsujimura, translated by Philip Gabriel. Great cover. Very, very great cover. This is a book that I feel like kind of on the surface is it almost reads like a middle school fantasy, which I really, really enjoy and like middle school writing. With a little bit of a hint of Sean and McGuire, if you're into that, it is about seven students um, in Tokyo who are avoiding going to school all for their own reasons. Some of them are bullied, some of them something has happened, but they are all refusing to go to school and sitting in their rooms. 
And as it does in a fantasy book, all of a sudden the mirrors in their rooms start to shimmer and shine. And of course, what do children do when there's a shimmering mirror as a portal to another land? They touch it. Whereas all of us would be like, oh no, oh no, there's something horrible with my mirror and leave the room. But it's a children's fantasy. So they go into the mirror and are transported to a wondrous castle that is ruled over by a petulant girl who is always wearing a mask who calls herself the Wolf Queen. And within this wondrous castle and its grounds, they can play, they can be free, they can have fun and kind of ignore the world that they have left behind. So long as they leave by 5 p.m. and that by the end of the year, they must find the magical key that is hidden in the walls of the castle. If they fail to do either of these things, they will meet a horrible death. As they start to unlock the mysteries of this castle, the castle is a metaphor, but they don't know that yet. Um, It is going to be a story about how one kind act can change our lives for the better. It has been described as a meditation on the cycle of loneliness and the power of friendship and empathy and sacrifice. And it seems kind of like just right for the fall when, you know, the, the, the green is slowly dying away into darkness and we're all filled with that existential dread that comes with fall, but also coziness. And so I think that this is going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to just cry my face off until snot is running down my face and I can't breathe properly. That's a fall book. That's a fall book. All right. Thank you, Corinne. And thank you to everybody for their picks. This is going to be an exciting fall season. Really, really um, excited for more new books coming. And I think like Mark's, I mean, Mark is going to catch up on like books from the beginning of the year. Like, but there's so many more coming out. You know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a race. Um, So yeah. Super, super exciting. So thank you again for joining us for this Keep It Fictional book chat. We will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.